How you doing? This is Lance Henderson, and you're listening to WithoutYourHead.com. I'm Nasty Neil. I'm joined by Alexandra Frankie. Nasty Neil. Nice. Yeah. I like that. I like, yeah. I like it. Too. It was given to me by Ari Mihailov, who played Leatherface. Oh, really? In part three, yeah. And the French, I'm of French origin, and the uh-huh. French really love decapitation. They, they decapitated exactly. a bunch of kids and queens, uh, kings and queens back <laughs> yeah. in the day. So Yeah, I, wouldn't, I, I thought it'd be cool if I had like a guillotine in the logo. Yeah, yeah. or even on, like, on set. Your mini guillotine and... Yeah. Exactly. Next I thought it would be a good opening, like a video for the show. If it was like a gay team came down and chop on my head off or whatever. Yeah, okay, your head yeah. off. Yeah, nice. Right. Well, we'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll figure okay. it out. Maybe I'll so, make something for you. All right. I, I have it on video, so I'll okay. hold you to the pin. Yeah. So Happy Face is uh, playing Sunday. Yes, tomorrow night, 6.30. So have you watched it before with an audience yet? Uh, actually, uh, yes, uh, a few times with a French audience. I've watched mm-hmm. Happy Face in Montreal because it premiered there last fall. In terms of festival outside of uh, Quebec, uh, I've only watched it at Slam Dance with an audience, yeah. and it was a small, like an English-speaking American audience, yeah. and that was interesting. Yeah. Very cool. So now I'm excited here because it's a bigger theater, and so I'm curious to see how the local you, folk will love it. Does that. it? You, you're uh, does, normally does it. Pl- uh, not necessarily Happy Face, but anything you make, does it play differently with a French-speaking audience than English? Yeah, a little bit. Um, because I'm, I'm, I'm originally French from France. I grew up in Quebec, which is French-Canadian, so already right. there's something schizo about the language. Yeah. And in my two films have been in English, so it's my second language. So I'm not a native speaker, right. and, and but yet I went to university in English, so the Francophones don't always get it. Mm-hmm. And to the native speakers, sometimes they... They'll laugh at the jokes, and sometimes there'll be some kind of like old school European humor that they'll laugh <laughs> that, at. Like not, oh, like, I see. not camp, but uh, different than a Native American would do. Yeah. So I notice a difference, and I find it super interesting. Yeah, that, I found that interesting. So, so where did the idea come from? This very uh, uh, yeah, original yeah, yeah. idea. Thanks. Uh, came from my mom and myself. So it's it's pretty autobiographical. The 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 part. Um, uh, well, it's a story of a 19-year-old kid who can't face his mom's illness, mm-hmm. and, and so uh, he, you know, he, he basically uh, she's about to come home from the hospital, and he can't deal with it, so he bandages himself up and goes to a workshop for disfigured people, mm-hmm. just to tame ugliness. And so it came with my growing up with my mom who had cancer and who used to work in the beauty industry for cosmetics. Yeah. So she defined herself by her perfect look, perfect makeup. Right. And when she started losing that, her definition of herself as a woman, as a person, started to crumble. And I witnessed that firsthand. So it was pretty tough and hard. 
as a teenager and, and I, it, it really hits me for women and, and everybody else like the the pressure of the tyranny of beauty of our beauty obsessed culture right. so I, I felt that early on so then I was super attuned to it so that, that was the, the, the beginning of the idea watching it I felt like there was probably some personal connect, connection to you because it did seem like a personal story <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah so, for sure yeah so a lot of anger a lot of frustration too but yeah. uh, you know like besides the basic story is there anything else that like did you do that did you no I, I didn't go to a workshop with these figure people but I, I seriously thought I lost it or it seriously impacted how I saw the world and I saw things afterwards and and I had a lot of rebelliousness and anger and frustration at this because like some, there's something not fair you know when mm -hmm. somebody doesn't look the same way and they're treated differently or as a second class citizen yeah. and but then I also found that I tended to treat my mom differently because I was kind of ashamed of her looks when we were outside or I was ashamed to bring friends home. So it, it the, the film was also a way for me to kind of deal with that guilt that I had. So, but I didn't go through this figure, the workshops and do stuff like that. I, on the other hand, I did, you know, I grew up loving um, action movies, horror movies. Uh, and so there was something that I wanted to shock the audience uh, with faces that we are hard to look at that normally we shy away yeah. from so it was a mix of very juvenile filmic impulses right. teenage anger and, and also some deep social and philosophical concerns about the tyranny of beauty so it's, it's kind of all jumbled into one you know when you talk about both having the guilt because you'd be mad at pe other people the way they might have looked at your mom yeah or maybe i don't know maybe even uh this religious aspect like god is doing this I don't know if there is or not. But then also your own guilt of almost treating her the same way other people do. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the hardest one. That's yeah. the uh, and a lot of good films and good stories are based on that. In, in life, like we do something, we act a certain way, and then we we feel like shit about it. So I like to deal in my films with like the the dark human emotions, the stuff yeah. we're kind of not a. Uh, not really comfortable with saying to people the stuff that makes us ashamed of ourselves you know mm -hmm. we're not the right person we're not like loving and, and compassionate and inclusive and you know uh, well it's a big topic these days you know inclusiveness yeah, um, kind of acceptance of others and stuff like that diversity mm -hmm. and it's like if you realize that part of you is not necessarily like that. Well, you could beat yourself up over the head, or you can make a film <laughs> right. to try to you know be, yeah. have a catharsis about it yeah. and discuss it. And that's yeah. my way. So, how did you go about casting the movie for you know interesting looking people? Yeah, you call them facial different or disfigured yeah, yeah, yeah. people. I mean, we we don't reuse really the PC term in my uh, circle. Sure. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Uh, what I that's fine. Yeah. Um, well, we we put an ad on TV. We went to some casting agents who did you know uh, casting for non actors, and I went to see associations, and I went to see a place in Toronto called About Face that deals with facial difference, and I basically offered them a one day workshop for their members on acting with an acting coach, and I said it's for free because you know acting workshops are great for self-esteem and yeah. social skills and I go at the end of the day just allow me to talk about my film project uh -huh. and that's it there's no strings attached so we did the workshop I did it with uh, 15 people at the end of the day I told them about the film and uh, quite a few of them gave me their emails and then we started like this but then we had to find you know I'm, in Quebec most people are French and mm -hmm. my film's in English and so I went uh, we, you know, we did some casting in New York via Skype in Toronto in LA even in Vancouver to get because I wanted to get people who were 
well, that looked kind of super different and hard to look at, but also that had the charisma. Right. Yeah. And also that were willing to have a camera two inches from their face, because a lot of people I met were still dealing with grief, yeah. particularly if their face became different because of an accident or cancer was, or disease. That was interesting in the movie, because it's almost like... Even within their own community, there is there was because the one guy who, who wasn't born that way, and he's like yeah. kind of talking about the other ones. Are, I'm not a freak because right. this happened to me. I wasn't born this way. Mm -hmm. So even amongst them, there is a little bit of uh, discrimination. Absolutely. I mean, um, I know. Yeah, yeah, completely. And and it's also amongst humans. The sure. thing that the the thing we made with this film, and and that what I told my actors was like, look, guys. Most films I see about different people or, or people that have been downtrodden or minorities, often they're treated as victims mm -hmm. or they're treated as angels, beings right, of so superior they, moral yeah, qualities. Yeah, there's, there's a certain no wrong, preciousness right. and sullen, sullenness to it. And I was like, I think you guys are... I'm going to treat you like... As assholes, as great, right. as dicks, because that as, would be really like, just quality. like me, just like no, but just like everybody else. Yeah, exactly. And and we try to, and and we all love that idea. And so, uh, for me, it's perfectly normal that somebody that's going to be different in a different way is going to feel animosity or rejection towards others. I mean, when you take a group of mammals and you have something, somebody different, they smell different, they move different, they sound different, they look different. So. That happens everywhere. So even in the community, there's there's things like this. And the idea was like, well, fuck it, let's have screw it. Sorry, I can't say. <laughs> no, you can say yeah. anything. All right, well, there's it no taboo. Kids, yeah. We're gonna yeah. talk about all the taboos: uh, race, gender, this, that. That was the thing in their faces. Yeah. So it kind of was natural. The guy kind of ad libbed that. Yeah. Oh, uh, really? It was cool. Yeah. That's pretty wild. So, yeah. Uh, did did like the when you were casting people? Did that change how you wrote any of the characters? Oh yeah, for sure. For sure, because I wrote some people like Maggie in the movie as an originally as an anthropologist. Maggie's the babe. Okay, you know she's got a face. She has sixty surgeries, but she has great body and she's right, always yeah. dressed in skimpy outfits. And uh, I wrote her as an anthropologist, and when I met her, well, she kind of models in New York City, and she, she doesn't have a PhD in anthropology, so that wasn't her way of talking, and yeah. she didn't have that academic vibe. So naturally, when I I learned their stories, I rewrote my characters with them in mind and, and which was way more interesting than what I had written in the first place because it's so much more true yeah so we, it was a big process and so we wrote the script we cast them and we rewrote based on them and then we workshopped and rehearsed and we kept rewriting every night because it was a lot of improv during the day because they couldn't hit their marks and, and some of them didn't memorize the text and, and or it felt stilted like beginner actors yeah so I wanted the emotion so we we drew on their life stories and their anguish or at times their wounds and then we created our scene but then the next day I had to rewrite so that it would fit the story yeah yeah so it was a bit nerve-wracking but I think the emotional continuity of the film is is its main strength and all my energy went into that yeah the the main character when he has not makeup but when he's dressed up so he can infiltrate the uh, the group yeah. or get into it almost looks painful, like because yeah. his nose is off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, it was. Yeah, okay. I was yeah. gonna ask, was yeah, it painful? I was like, I was told, hold on, hold on. He's like 19 years old, and when I cast him, I, I said, "Dude, we're gonna go all the way with this, yeah. right?" And he's like, "Yeah, all the way." So when we did it, I remember taping his nose and taping his face, and I had seen this in a modern arts troupe doing that, and it was pretty scary. Like right. the guy started normal and then taped his face into a monster's face. Yeah. So when we did this, I really taped it hard, but like you shoot takes and takes, you know, yeah, like a 10-hour day. Yeah, right. And then 
just started to hurt, and the, the crew was like, oh, poor him, you know, everybody loved him, he's our baby. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, he's hurt, you know, all the ladies on the set, yeah, yeah. like my, 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 my DP, he's a woman, uh-huh. my AD, they were like, you gotta take care of him. I said, man, he's, 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 he could take care of him as an actor, but then he had serious rashes days after yeah. it was painful. Because I think it really works even for the poster, because you, I'm like, it's kind of off-putting, like, because he looks like he's in pain, and, yeah. and before you see the movie, you don't know what it, because I tried to go in the movie not knowing too much about it, so I didn't know, you know, what what the deal was. I didn't know he was faking at the time. So, oh, really? But it was just, nice, you know, like, nice. wow, I don't know what, what what's going on. I here. mean, our poster's pretty badass. I don't know when, if you edit this, you're going to put it up, but... Uh, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, uh, yeah because it, it's pretty badass. It's a graphic designer from Poland, Patrick Harjez, who did it, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. But every distributor or my agents, like... It looks like a horror movie, and it's not a horror movie. It's almost like a comedy or a family movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but a bit more badass. So uh-huh. I love the poster, and he looks in pain. And and some people in the industry are like, it's a horror movie. I said, no, it's just it's his inner pain. Right, it's the right. Which inner could pain. be a horror movie, but not what you think of a horror movie. No, not in the commercial genre. Right. It's a horror movie for the main character, sure, probably, and and yeah. what he has to go through. So I don't know. I yeah. have to work on my marketing skills. Yeah. Was it hard to cast him since he's you know sort of uh, yourself in the movie yeah it was hard to cast him he's my alter ego my younger self so uh, completely different from who I am and yet I when I it was hard because I auditioned for for kids 19, 20 year olds 18 year olds late teens late teenagers in Montreal couldn't find him then we tried Toronto we did some tries in New York LA I didn't go but we were sent to tapes and then I went back to him, uh-huh. the long auditions, and he had that kind of sensitivity or fragility that I could connect with, that I felt I had at the time. Mm-hmm. And still, even though we don't look the same, and what I liked about his face was that he was attractive, but also a little not, but atypical and a bit androgynous. Right. And yeah, a bit of a dreamer. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so that, yeah, it was cool. When, I don't regret it. When you write a story about like angst uh, uh, when you're young, <laughs> Is it is it hard to tap into that? Because I, as for myself, I get, when I get older, I don't have that as much. You know, I, I think most people do when they're in their teens or twenties. I still have the angst and the anger right. in my yeah in my forties. I mean, it's a story that we wrote and we co-wrote. We started as a short film and we rewrote it for years with my co-writer Joel. You know, ever since I've been in film school. I mean, what happens in that story is the reason why I'm a filmmaker. My mm-hmm. my the, you know my mom's uh, cancer and death. So. Because uh, I used to be in finance, I used to, you know, I was supposed um, to go in banking and right. go to MIT and stuff. Yeah. And so um, I threw all that away and went to film. And so for this film, yeah, they, they carried the angst or the shame or the guilt in some form or another for a long time. It's kind of past now, mm-hmm. but I can still tap into it if right. I listen to the right music. If I, I watch the right I film, I agree with that. If I listen to... to stuff like that I grew up with, like yeah. Smashing Pumpkins or something, yeah. like yeah, I try to stay away with away from it sometimes because it can put me in a not necessarily a bad place, but a different place. You know, you, you got to put on the headset and blast it to the max or boost your speakers, and sometimes have dance, cry, <laughs> yell, scream, yeah, yeah, break yeah. stuff sessions. I tend to do that in my apartment. I don't break stuff, but I try to. Sometimes put it super loud and, uh, and music from that era, and you dance and you're happy, and all of a sudden some anger or sadness comes, and you let it all out. It's super yeah, cathartic. That's true. I and do recommend like, it's kids. Yeah, any kind of emotional release or attachment is is even if it's not necessarily a positive experience. I think it's 
and experience. Well, we've in this society more and more. You, the minute you have this, you're on the wrong side of the law, and everybody's like hyper about it. And I think it's you know things are becoming super violent out there, mm -hmm. and yet super controlled, and that's violent too. And I think as young women and young men, I could speak from the men's point of view. You know, teenagers, I and mean, when you grow up, you, you need to have an outlet for yeah. that kind of primal you know, animalistic, destructive force that accompanies growing up. And I'm not talking about hurting others, I'm sure. talking about a release. And if you kind of constrain it, I don't think you're going to be, we're going to be happy people. We're just going to be frustrated and have neuroses. So it, it's, it's becoming a pro I know it's going to become a problem because people then get radicalized for weird stuff if they don't have outlets and they get treated mm -hmm. like shit. So uh, I'm all f about finding positive rituals to let it all out, you know, even with friends, you know, and then it's it's kind of cool and badass and it gets you back to what being human is. Yeah. You know, so I try to, my films are all about, I think, that. Even my first one, The Wild Hunt, uh -huh. about a group of LARPers playing a medieval game was, and they go crazy. I was going to ask about D&D &D in the game because I see D&D &D in a lot of stuff and yeah. usually I'm like, I don't think whoever wrote this ever played D&D, &D, but in this movie I was like, oh, I think this, I think you play D&D &D yeah, and you know yeah. what it is. You still know play I mean? once in a while. Yeah, and then I was looking at AMDB and I was like, I think a lot of this stuff is is influenced by Dungeons & Dragons. Well, I, I, I think I always had a fondness for myth. Uh -huh. uh, I'm a lifetime D&D Oh, great. Well, yeah, well, so am I. Nice to meet you, man. Nice to meet you. <laughs> and so... I was always interested in myth, and and, uh, and as a kid, for me, I always like immersed myself in those stories and knightly virtues and stuff like that. And I think yeah. it was a, you know, growing up with a mom that was sick, away in an unfair world and not not really wealthy. It was a way to to project myself in doing some good deeds. I had this knightly ideals and stuff, and mm -hmm. and so I was drawn to myth, and then I learned more about it. And when I discovered D and D at fifteen, I was like, okay, well, this is a game to live it, you know. And and then I discovered that I could live it through my films. Mm -hmm. But that's what D&D's rep representation think, of it, or yeah. Wagner, or or even other stuff. And uh, now I, it's kind of like I'm using myth. We need to find new myths, by the way, because they've all been debunked by science. Mm -hmm. And I think men and women, men and women, need rituals as Homo sapiens. Yeah. So, yeah, it's all connected for me. Yeah. So there's always like a D&D's getting smaller in my films, but the the myth, the mythical part yeah. of it, is becoming bigger in the real life of my films. I always think it really helps uh, your your creativity if you were in the D&D or, or any kind of role playing games when you're when you're young, especially real ones where you where you sat down to play with people as opposed to uh, you know like a video game RPG. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I discovered video games because I'm, I'm, I'm from the early, I was born in the early 70s, so video games came, I was, it was later, I was already t late teens, yeah, 20, yeah, I, I mean, the, 76. So. Okay, but what else, I'm five years yeah. older, so when they came, I was, I had discovered D&D, &D, and yeah, it was good that it, it was live, and it, you had that kind of theatrical role-playing interaction yeah. with somebody else, and, and we, you often find out when you play that as you evolve in life, your characters kind of mirror or contrast yes. how you were in real life. Yeah, yeah. And so I think it's super cool. Yeah, yeah. My brother's nine years old, but so he was he. When I was very young, I was playing with him and his right. and, my, and his friends. So, uh, so he's born '67, so All he right. was into it pretty much like uh, from the beginning. So your viewership, are you got you guys are ladies are into the indoors. Is there anybody out there listening? <laughs> Oh. I do know specific. There are some listeners right. who who are into D and D. Okay, okay. So I'll drop some weird references once in a while, and I know some of them are like a beholder. They might know, but if you reference something like an owl bear, probably no one will know that unless they're a D and D player. Yeah. I don't even know what that is. Probably from the theme folio or something. Exactly. <laughs> I think it's Monster Manual. Right, 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 right. Uh, there was something. I don't want to give too much away from the movie, but 
there is kind of like the rise of the internet in the movie. Yeah. And I, I thought that was great because sometimes I think the internet does get a bad rap. But it's uh, there is a place for it because it does bring people together who who might not ever know each because like it, or like D D. If you might only have a few people in your area who are into it, mm. but or a horror, weird horror movies or whatever. But on the internet, you could find you know people from all over the all over the country, all over the world who might be in the same boat. Like they only have one or two people, or nobody in their area. Yeah. So it kind of it builds a community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so what's the question? I have no idea. But well, oh, <laughs> well, basically, in the the story takes place in the '90s, early yeah. '90s, and I, I just made the conscious decision to have this because in the in the top on the topic of beauty and the tyranny of beauty and the gaze of others uh, the internet the, the internet plays a big role in that in yeah. that that feeling we have of everybody else's lives is better looking better and, and stuff like that yeah. so it was at that time where it could have become become a positive force in terms of self-image mm -hmm. but it didn't for a lot of people I it's mean, kind it, of leaving open ended where you yeah. could take it either way it could well, be a or it could be I mean, like, it's a positive force in other areas, uh -huh. but in terms of self-image, in terms of the gaze of others, I'm like, eee. you meet people, absolutely, but in terms of like, I mean, for me, or, or some people that I've witnessed, I'm like, ugh. Yeah, there's even the apps My where judgment, you know you yeah. left, I don't know, left or right, yeah, like yeah. depending if you think they look good. Exactly, or Facebook, or anything, yeah. so, um, you know, everything is super aestheticized, and so... Uh, and and a lot of us feel the feel pain for that, or or some kind of general level of insatisfaction, and we try to uh, quell by by doing things that are not necessarily good for us. So yeah, it was a, um, I mean, it was, it was a statement from the filmmaker. You know, yeah. it's not. It was kind of like this is what I think, guys. Yeah, Love yeah. it or hate it, but it's at least it's a fun uh, moment. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk, but how old were you when your mom passed away? I was a bit older than the character. I was 23. Okay. She, she was sick when I got... She got sick when I was five, so it kind of went away, came back, okay. and so it was kind of on and off, you know, and she got sick again when I was 21, and I felt like I was 18 or 19 when she passed away. I was like a single son, you know, spoiled by his mom, you know, yeah. Italian mom, and so uh, I felt like the character in the movie, like, lost. Like, what the hell am I going to do, you know? Yeah. So, so before that, you had did you have interest at all in like becoming a movie a director, or making movies? Or? No, no, no. I wanted to, to to go to Wall Street and be in finance and make a lot of money and spoil my mom. You know, I had this kind right. of immigrant kind of become a lawyer, doctor, uh, like European coming to the well, North America and going for the American dream. So I it was really yeah, it was really success based. And when when she got sick. She wanted me to continue my studies, obviously, because she's you know, Italian and Polish, so we had that kind of like, study, study. Right. And, and so, um, I, to, to, to appease her, I was like, I can't do studies in the same city. You know, I wanted to go to the U.S. in the grad school. So I took a communication, a small one-year communications diploma at Concordia, and that's when, to get in, I had to take a film course, film aesthetic, by a Jesuit professor, Marc Gervais, who passed away, but who, who wrote on Bergman and Godard oh, nice. and, and was, um, was at Cannes to give prizes to Pasolini in the 60s, like a, a, a guy that's known in the film auteur community. And um, it just blew my mind. I sat in the basement and I saw prints of Kurosawa, Fellini, Bergman, and, it and my mom was dying at the time, and it was the only time where I wasn't in a world of shit. Yeah. And so when she died, after a while, I went to Dubai. I was banging in the Persian Gulf, back when um, Saddam, was, no, back when Osama bin Laden was being treated treated for kidney failure at the American Hospital in Dubai, wow. when he was a friend of, of yeah, the West. Right, yeah. And uh, 
And but the, that that feeling I got watching films kept with me. And when I got back, I got admitted into MIT here in Boston. Uh -huh. And uh, but I had a year before I got in, so I went, I went to do a little film degree because I, I think I had the, the bug. I had the disease. Yeah. I went to the film degree. I came back. I pushed my my entrance a few years, and then I decided not to go to the grad school and just start producing, directing music videos, short films, and it veered and it became kind of like a territory where I could escape and, and talk about that angst or that anger or that guilt yeah. and also escape and do great stuff and, and feel good yeah. so for me I, I don't come from a film background I grew up watching Bugs Bunny I learned English watching cartoons yeah, and American yeah. movies made cartoons earlier yeah I saw yeah. them I went, went there I overdosed on milk and cereal <laughs> so yeah I went into film as a purely I think without knowing it you know cathartic kind of thing but my parents made me listen to a lot of opera classical music uh -huh. see a lot of paintings exhibitions so my foreign my, my world of arts was not filmic. It was plays, legends, uh, poetry, theaters, all kinds of things that I looked at, but I didn't know much about film. I'm not a big cinephile, as you say. Like I don't, I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of film. Yeah, I yeah. just watch the same ones over and over. Again. Yeah. Well, what particular ones do you watch? Well, every year I watch The Seven Samurai. Okay. Like Kurosawa, just because it's, actually, it's like yeah. so badass. Uh, one of my favorite French auteur films is Hiroshima Mon Amour by Alain René. Oh, Hiroshima My Love. About, about after Hiroshima, it's about forgetfulness, love, memory, uh, uh, the Germans in World War II, the nuclear bomb. It's like pretty powerful. Okay. Pretty powerful. And uh, man and a woman falling in love like for one day. And Hiroshima, and they're so in love that it reminds them of past loves. And that woman's past love was a, a Nazi soldier and oh, wow. in France, in occupied yeah. France. So it, it basically rips her apart. And so it's pretty intense. And, and, and it's also about the consequences of nuclear bomb. It's it's like it's far out. It's an art piece. Yeah. And then I watch like Back to the Future, Indiana Jones, sure, sure. like yeah, my guilty yeah. pleasures. Yeah. Wars, I'm know? a big fan of Indiana Jones. Yeah. yeah. The first yeah. one when it came out, I was a teenager. It blew my mind. Yeah, yeah. So it's really and and oh no, wait, a lot of kung fu movies, a lot uh -huh. of early John Woo movies, um, Wong Kar Wai movies, but also like some early Jet Li stuff. Um, we have Fantasia Film Festival up in Montreal. Yeah, in yeah. Summer. I've been invited to that. Let's like, go sometimes. It's pretty cool. Yeah, so, yeah. So yeah, it's all over the place. My inspiration. Yeah. So you said you went to MIT. So I didn't you, go. You were going to go to MIT. Yeah, yeah. I just kind of kept pushing it back. So did, do you have any uh, background being in Boston? Uh, well, my, one of my best friends lives here, and he went to work after university here in engineering because it's a big hub of brains here. Uh -huh. And I always wanted to go to either Harvard or Stanford or MIT as a kid, at Ivy yeah, League, yeah. you know? So I remember I applied uh, when I was working in the Persian Gulf. I applied for the, at the media lab. I didn't get in. So I was a science guy. Then I applied for the MBA and, and got in. But film had already infected me. Sure. Arts yeah. and film had infected me, and so I... I bailed a month before going. And, uh, all right, all right. Yeah. And it would have cost a lot, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not I as much as the bit, money yeah. I put in my films, mind you. Now, looking back, I'm like, I'd probably be way wealthier. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, uh, after Buff, where does, uh, where does Happy Face go? Oh, well, we we're starting our run. We had our, our, our premiere, North America, our U.S. premiere in Slamdance in Park City a couple of months ago. And Buff is our second screening in the U.S., East Coast premiere. We're going to go to the North Newport Beach Film Festival, which is around near L.A., end of April. Okay. But I'm organizing a screening in L.A. on April 9th because we're trying to get distributors and mainstream 
buyers and the Netflix uh-huh. and Amazons of this world, Amazons, yeah. to look at it because everybody's talking about diversity. Movies should have more diversity. Sure, yeah, so Films are in. getting flack if they put an able-bodied actor like The Rock in Skyscraper right, and cut his right, legs. Yeah. Or if they put makeup for a facial scar, mm-hmm. they're getting flack because all the villains, all evil people have scars. And I'm like, yo, I got a little Here's movie. I did perfect. the right thing. Right, yeah, is, yeah. is there an upside? Can you guys look at it? Yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to organize something uh, with some associations and groups and organizations that push for more inclusion. And I'm trying to bring our little film with our little you know, unique brand of subversiveness and political yeah. incorrectness to, to the table to say, look, guys, I don't think... Um, of course, I think we should treat everybody the same, sure. but I don't think that we, we should force ourselves to have this kind of a watered-down language and shame people into using it because behind that language, people still think the same way. They still so think that, that it freaks me out right. that you're different. Mm-hmm. And so my, my angle is more like, let's, let's friggin' talk about it and joke about it and yeah, see what's taboo more, and, yeah. and have conflict and clash. You're actually dealing with uh, whatever it is, but if you, just, if you don't talk about it, you're not dealing with it. My anything. best friend is like, yeah, yeah, but you used to me, your big nose. I'm like, yeah, you hear me here you back so we joke about our our facial flaws quote unquote so right. with my actors it's like look are we gonna joke about the face yeah, well, yeah. and so that's how we started rehearsing for it and, and having that level of comfort mm-hmm. so we'll see how it plays I mean I'm curious to see the audience here and out yeah, there yeah yeah so the um you mentioned Amazon and Netflix and all um with all the platforms now as an independent movie maker uh is that is that good for you yeah, it's good, but it, it's hard. Uh, you know, I was in Slamdance and Steven Soderbergh uh, was presenting a film that he shot on an iPhone and it was Netflix produced. Right. And he's saying, you know, guys, it's easier to make films, but it's harder to get the right eyeballs on yeah, it. Yeah, it's harder to get noticed. And to get noticed because, yeah. uh, you know, people will notice, you know, small blogs, uh, newspapers, radios, little things. But if you want to get like, well, I don't know, make your money or get sold or at least have yeah. a wider distribution, if your film's decent, it's hard to get it. It's hard. So... I think it's cool, the platform, but at the same time, we're bombarded. Everybody's bombarded, so it's just we're flooded with stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, we'll see. I don't know, man. It's it's just moving so rapidly. You know, we I made my last film nine years ago, my feature. So it evolved so much that I, I barely had understood how it worked back then. But now I'm like, that's oh totally yeah, it's yeah. now like that's the thing. So yeah, yeah we'll yeah. see. Did you watch anything else here, Puff? Or I just watch got it? here yesterday okay. night, so I, I watched the morning cartoons. Some uh-huh. good old GI Joe, where shipwreck gets mind controlled oh, by nice. uh, knowing it's half the battle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. By Cobra, so that was cool. Uh-huh. And but tonight I'm going to start watching movies. There's some cool movies I want to check out. There's the yeah. Brazilian one, a horror one that looks pretty badass. Yeah. And then there's the French one also. I forget the names actually. Yeah, yeah, I do too actually. But yeah. yeah, well, this good yeah. stuff. I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Well, I I really dug Happy Face. Thanks, Not man. just because you're here. I actually really like. Okay, it, so, cool. Yeah. Thanks. And I hope people check it out. Yes, or if you can't come and see it, follow us on Facebook uh, or on the website, happyfacefilm.com, Happy Face Movie on Facebook, and uh, see where it takes us, if it takes us near you. Yeah, yeah. I should have totally asked you to plug the, to where to find it, so I'm glad you added that in there. Yeah, yeah, it's my... <laughs> I make a living in advertising because right, my films right. don't pay, so I'm like... I get you. That's right. what I'm learning now with the technology, like plugins. Yeah. Follow us on Facebook. Oh, no, Facebook is for old people like me on Instagram. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a Facebook guy. Me too, but, me too. <laughs> All right, it's very cool to talk to you. Ciao. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks. Yeah. Ciao, guys. Bye. Hi, this is Michael Ironside, and you're listening without your head. Mm-hmm.